This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. The Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Hey everybody, welcome into the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast, brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner for the CLNS Media Network. Sign up now at fanduel.com slash Boston and claim your $200 bonus. Uh, we are very happy to bring in one of our old buddies, Albert Breer, the senior NFL reporter, lead content strategist over at the MMQB. You've also heard him on uh, 98.5 and NBC Sports Boston all the time. You know, just a couple of Ellis guys chatting about football. <laughs> yeah. um, we go back a very long ways. Bert went to high school, I think, with my youngest brother. And, uh, you know, right. somewhere right now, Tom Lopez is watching this and just making fun of us. That's um, right. Somewhere. We actually all we actually uh, see we got the alumni group here. I uh we had, me and Greg actually took a meeting, took a picture at the uh at the owners meetings. It was me, you and uh and Mike Lopez, Tom Lopez's son, who's one of the top analytics guys for the NFL now. So um I, I uh I, I think he'd be happy to see this, but probably happier that 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 his kid is sort of ahead of us in the NFL food chain, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, he's definitely <laughs> he's definitely laughing his ass off about that. Yeah. Um yeah, uh I wonder I do want to get uh I do want to get Lopez's uh, opinion of uh my new look since being on Awaken 180 weight loss cuz I I told this joke at the league meetings. It wasn't a joke. It really happened. So, we went to I was at a wedding for one of my buddies, uh Mike Marr and coach Lopez was there and I went up to say hi to him. And the first thing he said to me was, boy, you got fat. Like, <laughs> thanks. Lo- that's Lopes. That's him. That's, exact- that's him. Yeah. That's him. That's Sean Mars older brother, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. See, that's the thing is like me and Greg are a few years apart. So like I, we have a, we, we had a lot of common friends, but, uh, but yeah, Lopez won't pull any punches. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, before I forget, I just um, and I've told Bert this uh, before, but I just wanted to tell everybody like, you know, I've been I've been super impressed with what the work that you've done. You've taken it to another level over at the MMQB and SI, um, you know, you're <laughs> you I, I mean, everyone does know that you like to talk, uh, which definitely helps you in your job. But I mean, the amount of time, the amount of information that you get, I mean. I always remember, you know, working for Peter, Peter at MMQB and thinking about like, could I do uh, Monday morning quarterback? Like, you know, if he decides to retire and stuff like that. And I was just like, I, you know, I don't know if I could do that. But, you know, you've just every week. It's amazing to me the kind of new stuff that you come up with. And so I just wanted to tell you that publicly because, uh, yeah, you're doing you're killing it, man. And keep Thanks. doing a great I job. It. I appreciate it. And everybody. Everybody knows that you're killing it too. And if you're not subscribing to Greg's website and you're a Patriots fan, I don't know what you're doing. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. That's the most important thing to me is like that, you know, like I sort of do the job the way that people I looked up to did. And, uh, you know, like being in Peter's space now, being in Will McDonough's space or earlier in my career, which you were too, um, you know, those guys are the best and they're the best because they know them. They, they knew the most people, you know? And so, that's really the lifeblood of, I think, what we all do, you know? And so I, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you saying that, Greg. Uh, so, you know, a couple, a couple of Patriots things um, to start. Um, I reported on, I think it was Tuesday afternoon, that the Patriots are out on Lamar Jackson. I don't think mm-hmm. they were ever in. Um, this, this came after 
Robert Kraft's comment, which you were there for, I wasn't even there for, where, you know, he dropped the Meek Mill thing and then left it on Bill's lap. I mean, from my perspective, from my reporting, what I understand is that, you know, look, what they would have to pay Lamar, what they would have to give up for Lamar is just not something that they're going to do. It's, I mean, you can't go from stiffing Tom Brady on his contract to the point where he has to leave and go to Tampa and win a Super Bowl um, and tell him earlier in his career, like we can't have a quarterback making 20% of the salary cap. And then all of a sudden turn around and say, we're going to pay some guy 35, $40 million guaranteed. It's just not something the Patriots will do. Um, You know, now if, if things go poorly this year, a year from now, say Lamar goes back to the Ravens on the franchise tag and say, there's, you know, acrimony where he holds out, like he does like the Logan Mankins thing holds out like half the year plays, uh, the second half of the year. So he burns that year under the franchise tag and then he's available, you know, could something happen? Maybe, but you know, as of right now, it's just not what the Patriots would do. And from my understanding, even if Bill Belichick wanted to do that, probably for some of the reasons I talked about, you know, how, how they dealt with Brady and things like that. I don't think ownership would be in favor of it. I don't think they would allow it. And I think that they are very much, I don't know how many more times Robert Kraft has to be anywhere and talk about Mac Jones and how much they believe in him and probably, and also his rookie contract that, you know, they think Bill screwed the pooch last year, uh, you know, with Mac Jones, and they don't think that that should be held against Mac. And now they have Billy O'Brien and they should go forward. So um, the Lamar Jackson thing just, you know, was good for sports talk radio. I know Mike Felger hates me now that I actually reported facts on this, but you know, it's just that's where the Patriots are. What what are you sort of hearing? What what was your reaction to the Meek Mill comment that Robert made and, and all that? Well, there was no skill involved in the, me being there for the Meek Mill con, uh, comment. That was an accident. I was just walking by. I heard somebody ask about Lamar Jackson. So I was like, I better listen to this. And uh, so that's just sort of how it happened from my perspective. I, yeah, I do think that the things are a little icy right now between Belichick and Kraft, and I think this is more part of that than anything else. Um, you know, like I, it's Lamar's a great player. Like I think we both know that, like a great, great mm-hmm. player and a unique player and a trendsetter and somebody who's playing the position differently than maybe it's ever been played before, right? That's part of the issue for him right now. Is it's not just bringing in a great player; it's bringing in a new offense. It's taking on the injury risk. It's taking on the contract. It's a lot, you know? And um, so like, could there be a potential big reward for bringing in Lamar Jackson? Yeah, there could be. There's also like an enormous amount of risk and, you know, you, you, you look where most of these teams are. I mean, how many teams have coaches that could even coach the offense that Greg Roman has coached the last Mm -hmm. five years there, you know, there aren't many. Um, and how many teams have the personnel to run that offense? Like there's so many things that go into it. And like, I, I don't know, like, it's just, to me, it's like, it's hard to think like, all right, you're going to come in and just push a button and all those things are going to be in place. That's why like Indianapolis makes more sense, you know, cause Indianapolis, yeah. like Shane Steichen, like put the Oklahoma run game into, um, to accommodate Jalen hurts and it helped Jalen hurts grow and become better and everything else. And they're brand new there in Indianapolis. There's some moving parts in the roster where they can make it work. Like Indy makes some sense because they're right at the beginning of something. Um, I think for the Patriots, it would be like, 
you're asking a guy who's a very unique player to get on a moving train and then like basically pulling the brakes on that train and sending that train on a new track. Um, it's just a lot, you know what I mean? Like, and again, that's like not to take anything away from Lamar as a player. I, I love Lamar as a player. I think he's actually a really good guy too. Like I, I think he would fit into the, any, any NFL culture and, and be a leader and and all of that. It's just, there's a lot of accommodations that you have to make and a lot of planning that would go into it. And I think it would be difficult for any team um, to pull that off, especially one that's been building for a couple of years like the Patriots have. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the part of the, um, the, the, the Lamar Jackson component of this, and especially with the Patriots is like, you know, to me, it just reinforces like, Boy, they, the Patriots really screwed up with that 2018 draft. I mean, I, I don't know what they were thinking. I mean, with Isaiah Wynn and Sony Michelle, um, yep. you know, but Lamar Jackson was there. They had traded Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, they could have just restarted the clock, let, you know, Brady play for whatever, two more they years. twice, right? Uh, yeah, they had, they had two picks at the end yeah. of that f- first round. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, they they just the, everything that whole offseason from after the from after the Super Bowl where they beat the Falcons to not giving Brady an extension to the Garoppolo stuff, man, Brady, uh, Bill, Bill just had a rough couple of years there. Um, we're we're going to dive a little bit more into Kraft and Belichick in a second. But one thing I wanted to hit on. So, you know, the big soundbite from Belichick out of the league meetings was the you know, what? what should fans be optimistic about in these, like, I don't know, the last 25 years, which was a, you know, in the moment, it was a stunning comment to hear a guy who, you know, doesn't pay for past performance. You know, when he comes in the meets with the team for the first time, he doesn't care about what happened the year before. And, you know, suddenly it's about now because it fits his narrative because the recent years haven't been that great. Now he says, you know, look at my track record. You know, I, I think people should, you know, respect that and believe in that, even though, you know, what happened last year. But then, of course, for about the second or third time this offseason, he clarified his remarks with the Boston Globe when he said, you know, we're not resting on our past laurels. That's not the message to the team or the fans. Uh, we have never operated that way and aren't now. Um, <clears throat> to me, this is, uh, look, if, if people are going to keep allowing Bill to clarify his comments, um, to me, it's one of two things. I mean, this is a man who for for so long has calculated every single word that he said. He knows exactly the way how to not be pigeonholed by reporters. He's, he's the best at it. But, you know, it's either to me, it either shows this is like physical evidence of him slipping or like, you know, he doesn't mind saying what he's saying, but there's some sort of reaction behind the scenes from ownership or what have you that now he's reacting to, uh, you know, what did you make of this, uh, clarification? Well, I think the comment itself was very real because it was visceral. You know what I mean? Like, I think it was very real. I think it was frustration that he's being criticized like he is. I think it was frustration that people are kind of digging into his decision-making and aren't just trusting it after all the success that he's had. Like, I think it was very real, you know, like, and I, I think it's, I mean, look, like if we're putting ourselves in his shoes and you're the greatest to ever do something, right? Like 
And now all of a sudden you have people like me and you sitting around a breakfast table firing questions like that. You can understand it, right? Like, like it's, it's sort of like, it's a very real, very human way to react. You know, the clarification kind of like, it, it just strikes me as another example of how like Belichick and Kraft haven't been on the same page the whole off season. You know, like I think, like from the very beginning with the comment on the money and then having to clarify that the letter to season ticket holders, the idea that they were going to run like a broad offensive coordinator search, you know, Bill did not that, 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 that putting out that statement wasn't, wasn't Bill's, you know, wasn't, wasn't Bill's decision at all. And like, then you kind of like look at like how the OC search went it was Billy O'Brien. And then it was a bunch of guys who were like doing de facto position coach interviews. Right. So like where this was supposed to be like, we're looking at our entire operation and I love Billy O'Brien and you and I both have known him for a long time. Like I, like, I I think it was a really good choice, but it still is like, like, like if they were going to change their MO, this wasn't, this wasn't changing your MO. This is doing what you've always done. You know what I mean? Like, so I think like there's, sort of this, I mean, this friction there where I think on one side, you've got Robert Kraft, who's feeling the heat, who feels the brand slipping a little bit, who sees Sunday night football, right? Like, like, like flexing out of him, you know, and a lot of one o'clock games and is concerned about like what that means for the franchise's standing in general, on top of the fact that they're not winning at the same clip anymore, and thinking to himself, probably in his head as a businessman, we've got to evolve. And then I think on the other side, you've got a coach who has been doing it the same way forever. Who's like, this isn't broken. Like we can still do it the same way we've always done it. And, um, you know, the league's changed, you know, mm-hmm. so can Bill's way still work? You know, like you look at like what Brian Dayball did in putting together his staff with the Giants in like hiring Wink Martindale, who he really didn't know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Hiring Mike Kafka as his offensive coordinator from Andy Reid's system. That's not something the Patriots would have done. You know, no. Dayball was here, but Dayball is doing it a different way. Sean McVay, he basically like overhauls his offensive staff. He brings in guys from different places. He got Nick Cayley and Ryan Wendell, right? Like guys who had Patriots ties in there because he wants to infuse new ideas. So I think it's it's interesting that way in that, like, I think you have the crafts on one side where it's like they're feeling the heat and maybe they're feeling a need to evolve. And you've seen them kind of like like the Lamar thing, the statement where he's saying we're going to run a broad OC search, having Gerard kind of like in the on deck circle, like all that stuff. Like, you know, it's an owner who I think like is trying to evolve things and maybe a coach who's saying, wait a minute, like the way we've done it worked at a higher level than any other way in NFL history. So you shouldn't be dismissing like my methods, my methods still work. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I almost say this at least in the last couple of years. Um, it seems like I say this every year, but I really mean it this year where I, I do think this season is just a huge re- referendum on bill mm-hmm. and his ideas and the direction for the franchise. I mean, I, I definitely said it last year and it was true to some extent that was more about that he knows best as far as coaching staff and the Matt Patricia and Joe judge thing um, that, that, you know, every decision he still, he makes still turns to gold this year, you know, there's really no excuses. I mean, 
you know, they, they picked Mac Jones in the middle of the first round. Um, I think he's good enough to win with if you do certain things. And, you know, you're a big proponent. I, you know, I think we both agree that there's basically two ways to do things. Either you have the elite quarterback who yep. raises people up like the, like the Patriots had for 20 years of Tom Brady, or you have the guy that you're not quite sure about, but, but can play at a really good level if you put enough around him. And I think the way Bill's gone so far this offseason – bringing everybody back on defense, the same defense that's gotten roasted for like four straight years against any good quarterback or any good defense or offense, um, adding more to the special teams, not even just maintaining, adding more. Um, and then, you know, just doing sort of what you have to do to get a little bit better on offense. Like to me, this is still Bill believing our formula works. And I, and I think there's a lot of doubt. I mean, even in new England for the first time after what's gone on 25 and 26 since Brady's left, I think there's a lot of doubts. I mean, you know, we'll see if it doesn't work, then, you know, I, I don't know where we're going to be. I mean, where do you think that that bill, if this doesn't go well, say they have another losing season. Yes, Robert, um, two losing seasons in three years. He, he kind of, he, he had forgotten the Cam Newton year. Uh, if it's three and four, um, you know, it, could it be time? Will the Crafts decide to move on? It's a fascinating question. I, I want to piggyback off of something you said, too, because I do think, like, there's this – I would say, like, you you look at it like there are a few teams, right, that, like, sort of refuse to get in the Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr market. And um, I, I put like Washington, Atlanta, Tampa, like in that category, right? And you're, you see the hesitancy with Lamar. I think what the NFL is telling us right now is exactly what you said. It's either you have a cheaper quarterback, right, where you have the resources to surround him with a ton, right? Or you have an expensive quarterback that has to be able to carry you in certain ways. It's going to have to be able to make up for things in certain ways. Like in other words, no one's going to complain that Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes got paid. No one's going to com- complain when Joe Burrow gets paid, right? Like those guys, we know those guys are good enough to do it. Um, it's like where you get yourself in trouble is like when like you're in that middle and you're paying a guy and you're paying a guy and you're not getting that top level performance. How does this apply to the Patriots? Well, to me, it still feels like the Patriots are building as if they have an elite quarterback, right? Yep. Like, like, doesn't it look that way to you? Like they're mm-hmm. building as if Tom Brady's going to come in and save the day. Like they don't need a number one. They don't need elite tackles where Brady was the one who'd sort of fixed that over the years. And like, I don't know, Greg, like wouldn't, if you were the crafts, wouldn't you be concerned that you blew the rookie contract window now? Like that oh, window yeah. be aggressive. Like For you sure. see what Philly did around Jalen hurts and what, you know, the Bengals have done around Joe Burrow. Like, that window is almost gone now. Like you have this year, then you have to make a decision on the fifth year option. Then the year out, then, then, then next year. And after that, it's really gone one way or the other, either Mac Jones isn't here anymore or Mac Jones is making another, a lot of money. One or the other, that's really it. Right. Yeah. No, I I mean, I I completely agree with you that, you know, it, it just like, I thought, look, they had the Cam Newton here. Yeah. You know, nobody's going to really go. I mean, even when I covered the Packers, you know, Brett Favre in 2007 leads them to the Super Bowl or the NFC Championship game, and he choked away the Super Bowl uh, with his interception against the Giants and just 
his terrible play in the cold. And, you know, the whole thing, they move on to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was 6-10 and 10 his first year after Favre with a team that went to the NFC Championship game, a young up-and-coming team. And then they were 4-4 four and four the next year. Um, you know, and people wanted – he was 10-16 and 10 and 16 or whatever at one point, 10-14. and 14. People wanted to fire everyone and run Rodgers out of town. So it's not going to be ever going to be a smooth transition unless you have Steve Young, you know, waiting in the on-deck circle. And so, okay, about, fine. And, Greg, you're talking about, like – one of the like ideal ones was Favre and Rodgers, right? I know, and they, and they took a year back. So I was okay with the Cam Newton step back, reset everything, and then ten and seven was nice. You know, rookie quarterback, bring in some free agents. You know, they're not going to quite hit in year one, but all right, roll it in the year two, and then. Because Bill didn't have any plans whatsoever behind Josh McDaniels, he just effed everything up. And we're going to have to see whether there's a residual effect as far as, you know, a hangover into this year or not, and, and whether it sinks two years in a row. But completely, they they botched the the Mac Jones rookie contract thing. And, and you know, they got to get it back quickly. And now the division's even better. And, you know, we'll have to see about that. Um, to answer, to answer your question really quick, though, yeah, I yeah. think this is a critical year. Like, I think that this is – because you have to make a decision on the quarterback's fifth-year option after this year. Um, like, once you get past that, like, we've seen it with other organizations. Like, it's, like, after year three is, like, you see, like, Miami is sort of the shift in the way that they did business um, going into Tua's third year and now where they are, like, in the fourth year, which is the last cheap year they'll have. Like, this is a critical point, you know, and with your young quarterback. And so, like, I do think, like, like I don't think like he did he get fired just for going eight and nine, but if the quarterback if the young quarterback falls off a cliff and like the coaching hasn't been fixed and like I think that there are I think it's more than just the record I think it's sort of like what the trajectory of the organization looks like after this year if that makes sense. Yeah, and I got Robert on the record about you know Bills you know future and and you know but mentioned the record and you know at least he gave the right response. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I one thing before we uh, take a break real quick, um, I did want to ask you, I, I doubt that you saw this, but, you know, I'm always looking ahead on the Patriots. I'm looking at the contracts. I'm looking at the depth chart and stuff like that. And, you know, what's really odd to me and things could change and they probably will change here in the offseason with a couple extensions to guys like Michael Wenu or Kyle Duggar or what have you. But as it stands right now. You know, 2024 looks like it's a clean slate. They have like $150 million in cap space. Yeah. They have they, they don't have many guys signed. They have a lot of free agents this year. You have like almost all the linebackers, the edge players are, are coming due. Uh, there's be almost no wide receivers. The tight ends are gone. You have to make the choice on the quarterback's fifth-year option next year. Like if, if just putting on a tinfoil hat, when I look at it, it tells me that, you know, maybe Robert and Bill – met after the season and bills like you know basically they gave them one year and we're like you know okay you got another year to get this corrected and sorted out but we want you to leave 2024 clean because if it doesn't go well we have gerard ready we're gonna let him and and whoever he hires as personnel guy make all decisions from here but 2024 for the patriots as it stands right now just looks really really odd and it's, it sounds sacrilegious to say it, but, like, I guess the question is, do you want Bill making those decisions? You right. know what I mean? Like, if all these big decisions coming, and you look at some of the decision-making over the last couple of years, 
and again, you like I'll use that word trajectory. Like, does it? Yeah, they weren't far off from making the playoffs last year, but do they look like an ascending team? You know, no, and, and how many backup quarterbacks did they beat to get those right. eight wins? It was like seven backup quarterbacks. Yeah, and so like I think like it's the question is who you want making those decisions. Is it Bill as the like like omnipotent like guy atop the organization? Is it Bill as just the coach and someone else as the personnel man, which who knows if Bill would stay, you know, in that sort of scenario? Mm -hmm. Is it Gerard Mayo with Bill kicked upstairs? Like, or is it Bill gone and just Gerard and then Gerard's own personnel man? Like, I think that those are all like questions that you have to ask. Now, again, like I don't know that Robert would have the stomach to fire, um, fire Belichick, but like you certainly like the the tone and tenor of everything at that meeting. I and I I know so, like some some stuff behind the scenes, all of that. Like it it doesn't seem like that relationship's in a great place right now. And uh, like winning can solve a lot of things, you know. Like so, yep. there's there's no question. Like if they can come out and and turn a corner and get back to, and they don't need to win 13 games, but they can get to 10, 11 wins, get themselves back in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean Bill's going to be around. You know, where it gets awkward is if like they aren't there, they miss the playoffs again, and it still sort of looks like the trajectory of the organization is flat. Fun fact, FAU was one of the first Division One baseball schools to uh, recruit me uh, back in the day. So um, <laughs> that's somewhat interesting. Um, going, to, going to college in Boca would have been fun. Well, but it's, I, you know, I've said this on Twitter, like, you know, because I, you know, I was born in Massachusetts. Um, moved down there when I was young and lived there for 10 years. We lived in West Boca Raton. So we spent a lot of time at, at FAU and my uncle who ran the uh, Buckingham baseball school down there knew, you know, he always knew the baseball coaches. So we would always go there. But back then, like when I left there, FAU was just like a commuter school. Like they didn't have, they didn't have, I don't even know if they had basketball. They definitely didn't have football. Schnellenberger came in there and changed everything. I actually, I went to an FAU football game uh, this year when the Patriots were down there for their joint practices. And uh, a bunch of my old Palm Beach Post cohorts went there in our season ticket holder. So uh, they're, that they're was fun. They're pretty good, too. Like, Lane Kiffin really got that place rolling. Like, yeah. I think Tom Herman's down there now. Yeah, so it's yeah, a – Yeah, I saw, I saw Herman in the crowd at, uh, at FAU. I mean, at one of their fo- basketball games. That's, that's oh, yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, he's a damn good coach. I don't know what happened at Texas. I mean, both of us know him, and uh, I just think he's smart as hell. I don't know what happened at Texas. Same thing that happens to a lot of guys at that school, which is the politics of the place. I think got to him. It's there's a lot of hands in the pot at the University of Texas, and I uh, I'm excited to see what he does at, at FAU because he he did a great job at Houston. Obviously, did an awesome yep. job at my alma mater. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does there. Um, we might touch on Bill and Kraft a little bit more, but uh, I wanted to just go over. So, you know, Joe Judge, you were the first to report, um, and it was 100% on the money. It, 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 when your first report came out, I couldn't tell if he was assistant head coach or assistant to the head coach. And yeah. But you were right. He's definitely assistant head coach. Um, he was at the league meetings. I will say kudos to Joe for keeping a much lower profile than Matt Patricia a year ago, who was basically an appendage to Belichick at the league meetings a year ago. Um, Judge was there, but not really seen all that much. Um, yeah. You know, what do you, 
What do you make of this? And do you think it has any trickle down effect as far as the rest of the coaching staff? I do think like they're after last year, um, the one thing I think Bill probably like would have recognized in the way the year went was that all the gray area and roles and the gray area and who does what hurt the operation. I think it's pretty easy for any of us to say that, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, like Matt's the OC, but Joe's sort of the pass game coordinator. And Nick Cayley's over here and he's involved. And then you have two defensive coordinators, but neither of them have the title. And the special teams has a coordinator, but the special teams is kind of a mess right now. And so, like, I think, you know, like part of this, and I, this is one thing I, I wouldn't be surprised if Kraft was involved in it. Quite honestly, like, I wouldn't blame him for getting involved in this because this is, like, it, it, an actual area of expertise for him is organization, right? Like, how uh, how how something is set up and how you delegate and all of that. And I do think, like, there was probably a feeling that, maybe they needed to silo off a little better. You know what I mean? Like, so have well-defined roles where people are, this is your job. This is what you do. And so, you know, like having a well-defined offensive coordinator and Billy O'Brien, and then, you know, everybody knows Gerard and and Steve are running the defense over here and Gerard runs the meetings and Steve calls it on Sunday. And then special teams came accords over there and you have Joe having his hand in there. And then Joe's the assistant head coach which is sort of the role that Matt Patricia had sort of the role that Mike Lombardi had to some degree with, you know, some oversight over special teams and then being the guy who ties coaching and scouting together some and has some head coach duties that take stuff off Bill's plate. So he's spread a little less thin, you know, it's when I can sit there and define what everybody does in whatever that was probably too long still, but 45 seconds. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I think that that's sort of the idea here is to set the things thing up in a more organized, more easily explainable way, which should, you know, eventually make things easier on the players. So Joe gets to go in, I think, and help the special teams. Joe goes in and gets to make Bill's job easier um, and makes and, and sort of maybe simplifies what Bill can do, which I think will allow. I think Bill being spread thin had a lot to do with them, like slipping on the details last year. So taking some of that off his plate, I think will help. Um I think it's a good logical move. I think it pulls on what Joe's like experience is, which Joe has two years of experience as a head coach. Um, and I think ultimately once people get over the idea of where everybody like stacks in the pecking order, which does matter, like you could actually see why this like, does make some logical sense to do things this way. Yeah. And I also think, you know, look, I think Bill, um, you know, along with Matt, but it's different with Joe because Joe has more time left. I think he has two more years left on his yeah. Giants deal. So, you know, he's cheap. I think Joe, um, he, I don't think he was, I think you might have said this, but he, I don't think he was crazy about going straight back into coaching after the Giants thing and sort of did it out of loyalty to Bill. And I think, um, you know, Bill's, trying to do him a solid and and keep him on but also help him a little bit but I I do think that I think it was important to get Joe away from the offense and away from the players largely where I do think he's mostly just going to be involved somewhat with special teams but yeah. like you know he he had to get away from you know Mac Jones in the offense I mean I don't think there's any animosity there um you know, did some reporting on this while I was there. Like, you know, I, I think some of the, maybe the ill feelings of the coaching staff towards Mac is a little 
overblown and but I think a lot of people just realized last year was bad and they're trying to move on but I do think it was important to get Joe away from the offense and away from Mac and just get a fresh start you know under Billy and all those guys and so I think that's um that's part of it do you do you agree yeah I think like and I think the important thing for Mac is like now he knows like sort of who's responsible for what on his side of the ball. There's a very well-defined offensive coordinator. He's going to be tied into Billy O'Brien. And I mean, look, like for all the criticism that O'Brien got for what happened at the end in Houston, um, he had a ton of success there. Like you could argue he was the most successful of any of them, of any of the guys yeah. who come out of here as a head coach, right? What he did at Penn state was borderline miraculous, like considering the circumstances there. Mm-hmm. And then like he won, was it four division titles at Houston and granted yeah. it's the AFC South, but like, you know, he was successful and he won with different quarterbacks and he has background with what Mac did at Alabama. And so I think, you know, making sure that there's a very clear like chain of command when it comes to the quarterback and who the quarterback is answering to, I think was important. And I think getting Joe and Matt away from the offense was important too, after everything that went wrong last year. And again, like, I don't think it's all those guys fault. Like I think for Joe and Matt um, it was, you know, doing something, I think that, doing something that the, 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 the bill bill wanted them to do and bill thought they were capable of. And I think a lot of the, like most of that is on bill. Um, but I think like after everything that went wrong last year, it was sort of important to, to, to wipe this light clean and, you know, create a situation where, you know, your quarterback knows who he's knows exactly who he's answering to and knows that, you know, what happened last year is, is truly in the past. Uh, let's move over to um, wide receivers slash offensive weapons. You've done a lot of good um, reporting on um, Hopkins. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. my extent of it, because I know you texted me the other day, uh, you know, early on, just as a guess, I thought that the Patriots would be in on DeAndre Hopkins at some point. Now, you know, and I've said, I still think they're on the periphery of this. I don't think they're that involved, Uh, you know, talking to people at the league meetings. It sounds like, you know, they made a call early. There hasn't been much ever since. I still think they could get in on, you know, whether it's Hopkins, but there are issues with him about practices and things like that. And O'Brien's going to know, even though I think their relationship was was fine. And I D Hop, I think it's got really productive. I think the relationship's like I think the relationships. I I I think that that I I don't think that'd be a problem. Yeah, either do I. And you know about you know Odell Beckham. You think there's any chance there, or Jerry Judy, or you know, from my understanding, from being at the league meetings. The Patriots, or at least certain aspects of the Patriots organization, wants to add another weapon for Mac Jones. And how, if they do that, how are they going to do it? Yeah, like, well, as a two to six guy, like, I don't know if you want me to mention that they only have, what, 12, between 12 and $13 million in cap space. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fine with that. I mean, because look, yeah, we all know that doesn't matter, but it matters to the Patriots because they don't redo contracts. They don't create cap space, which is another thing I wanted to bring up on, you know, if with Mac Jones in a contract with this contract, like you for the next two years you redo contracts and you burn up cap space that way and like but whatever go ahead anyway so so yeah so i these are very separate situations so i would say with judy i think that'd be the ideal guy he's young he's ascending he's capable of being a number one he hasn't gotten there yet you know he's been hurt but 
Um, you know, I think because of the relationship with Mac Jones, I believe he was roommates with Mac Jones when they were, when they were freshmen yeah. in Alabama, um, because of, you know, like his, his background in an offense that's sort of like the Patriots offense, um, because he brings the element of speed, which Hopkins really doesn't. And Beckham might not as much as he used to that they really need in the offense. Um, yeah, I just think like and 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 the price tag too, like the actual contract is doable for at least this year, right? Like right. where you have him on his rookie contract and you've got a very, very manageable number for this year where you can fit him in. He's ideal. Now, my understanding with Denver is Denver hasn't actively been shopping their receivers, but they are looking for picks. Um, mm-hmm. they their first and second round picks are in Seattle for Russell Wilson. They got a first for Bradley Chubb. They traded it to New Orleans for Sean Payton. They're looking to fill in that gap. I don't think they pick until like the mid to late 60s, right? So they're looking like how can we kind of fill in the gap there at the top of the draft? And like the one place where they've got a, like A players that people would want and B a surplus of those players is receiver. So that's Sutton, that's Tim Patrick. KJ Hamler's hurt right now. Um, but Tim like somebody, Patrick, I like Tim Patrick. Huh? I yeah, like Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick's coming off the ACL, right? Like oh, and right. Hamler's Hamler's hurt right now. Um, and then so then that leaves Sutton and Judy. And Judy, like to me, is the one where you look at it and say he's already a good player, and he might be a great player. And so I think the Patriots really like him. The question is what they're willing up to give, what they're willing to give up for him. I would like think about like maybe like saying to Denver, would you take our 2024 first rounder or would you take our second rounder and maybe a conditional 2024 pick? Like I would think about something like that. Um, Beckham money is going to be the question. Like he's asking for around 15 million per, he was asking for more than that previously. Would the Patriots be interested? Yes. Would they be interested in that price? I don't think so. So I think the price would have to come down. The Hopkins one's fascinating because they haven't really been in on it. Um, I know there's a, at least one team that's gotten permission to talk to Hopkins. To my knowledge, that's not been the Patriots yet. Um, I like I, I think that was a no for a number of different reasons. I think it was a no because of the financial cost, because of the draft pick cost, which initially the Cardinals were asking for a two and something else. Um, it's because of the like the practice thing. Obviously, he's got like the attitude question in his history. Yep. Um you know, but like if we're talking about this being a reclamation project where the price comes way down and he's willing to redo his contract, that could be where you're talking about something else. So yeah. like I think it was a non-starter at the price point. You know, could it eventually turn into something else? Maybe, you know. Um, and I would think Judy would be a higher priority, but like if Hopkins price were to come down, I mean, some teams Greg think they're gonna cut him. I think the Cardinals are gonna wind up cutting him. Oh um, wow his market, his market is not great right now. And mm-hmm. even for teams like say like Kansas city, like Kansas city would need him to take a significant pay, pay, pay. Yeah, he'd have to be like, take the Smith Schuster deal from like right, a year ago. Right. Right. So like, I, I just, I don't, I clearly there's nobody that was willing to take on the contract and pay the Cardinals initial price. Like I think for a team like the Patriots, it would take, it either being no draft pick compensation or way, way, way down from Arizona's initial ask and an adjustment to the contract. And that obviously yeah. gives, you know, like Hopkins considerable control over the situation, because if you're going to change the contract, then you have to go to him, 
You know what I mean? So I think this is a really, really complicated one. And they haven't shown great interest. They haven't really been in it to this point. Like if his market collapsed completely and he was cut or was available for almost nothing and is willing to redo his contract, maybe we're talking about something else. Yeah. What's interesting about Judy is that um, it would almost be the same identical situation as they had to Brandon Cooks when they brought him in. They traded for him. He was still on his rookie deal. They picked up up his... Right. Yeah, they picked up his option, which Judy's needs to be picked up by early May uh, in about a month. Um, and then then they traded him, which I thought was a miracle trade to get a first round back yeah. from the Rams for um, that deal. And he got the big deal. They only paid what's hilarious about people talking about the Patriots and wide receivers. Like if you go through it, their history and the the highest they paid receivers, I think, first of all, it's Nelson Aguilar, but even Brandon Cooks. I look back on overthecap.com and the Patriots only paid him $7 million for, for that year. Like they never pay wide receivers. They like really, they never do. Isn't that part of like maybe having an outdated approach to this? And that yes, Mm -hmm. because you didn't pay receivers because Brady didn't need you to pay receivers. You know what I mean? Like, like Brady didn't demand that. Like, like, like having Brady on your roster meant like, okay, we can make up for it. If we've got a little less of that position, I, you know, just look at the young quarterbacks. And again, I'm like, I, I don't like, I, I think on balance, like Mac is probably a middle of the road quarterback, like long-term. I think that's probably what he is. But if you're going to find mm-hmm. out if he can be more, do what the bills did for Josh Allen and acquiring Stefan Diggs, do what the Bengals did for Joe Burrow and drafting D- T Higgins and Jamar chase do what the chiefs did for, for Patrick Mahomes and not just having Tyree kill, but then signing Sammy Watkins after, um, you know, like the chargers, they had Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. Um, Mm -hmm. when he got there, like you look at all these different situations and it's like Jalen hurts, like the, the Eagles go and trade for AJ Brown, right? They draft Devontae Smith. Like, look at like that situation that he's in at the very least, like those teams are going to have a clear, clean read on who their quarterbacks are earlier in their careers because they've created an ideal situation around them. It's like what the Dolphins tried to do with Tua last year in trading for Tyreek, you know, and drafting Jalen mm-hmm. Waddle the year before that. So, like, I think you like look at it and it's like, I what I see with the Patriots' offense right now, and I I, I think you'd agree with this. You can disagree if you want. They've got a lot of complementary weapons, yeah, but they don't have a number one. And if you drop into a number, if you, if you were to drop a number one into that, then I think it changes the dynamic completely. And the way I look yeah. at them, probably it changes, you know, like, I think they've got a lot of good complementary weapons. They don't have a number one. Yeah. And I just think that, I think that Bill prioritizes the wrong thing in today's game where, you know, I think it's getting to the point and the contracts are getting to the point where, you know, you need to be in the business of, if not one, uh, if not multiple, at least one wide receiver every single year, like, and yeah. try and, and cornerbacks and pass rushers. That's really like, you need to either make plays on the quarterback or you need to make plays on the ball on both sides of the ball and Bill's skirting around at cornerback. We'll see if he takes a plunge at 14 at cornerback um, and they can't do Jack at wide receiver. And, you know, and you know, if a guy, you know, prices himself out at some point in time. You don't want to pay that. You just keep cycling through them. I just think you it's... You know what, though? You know what's interesting about that? You bring up the corner thing. I know you were a big, like, trade for Jalen Ramsey guy, right? Yes. Well, so here's the thing. Like, Jalen Ramsey basically manufactured his 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 way to... His, manufactured his path to, to Miami. 
in what he was willing to do contractually. Like he basically said, in essence, if it's somebody other than Miami, I'm asking for a brand new contract. Right. right. Like if it's Miami, just guarantee a couple of years and I'm good. Mm -hmm. And the Patriots used to be that team. Like yes. the Patriots got like a deal on the Patriots got to leave at a discount, right? The Patriots got Darrell Revis at a discount mm -hmm. to some degree. They got, they got Stefan Gilmore at the top of the market at the time, but they got him at a pretty good price. Like mm -hmm. guys wanted and quickly. To play here. Yeah. And guys wanted to play here, Greg, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's part of it too, is like, it's really hard if you're not one of the three or four best teams in the league, which the Patriots got really used to being to wait for those sorts of, bargains to shake out of the tree because if somebody's going to chase a ring or reestablish their value like this is a great place when tom brady was the quarterback is it as great a place anymore like those sorts of bargains don't shake out of the tree anymore yeah um real quick before we move on to the bsj member question of the day um what are you hearing about the top of the draft and the quarterbacks like are, are they all definitely going top 10 um you know, and I know Richardson had his pro day and I think Levis had his pro day. Yeah. Um, any chatter you're hearing about the top of the draft and the QBs? Yeah, I think like I think uh, Young and Stroud go one, two, probably in that order uh, would be my guess would be, um, you know, I think when the, the Panthers traded up to one, their baseline, they, out, they, they still haven't made a decision yet. But the baseline was Bryce Young. They really liked him. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, the size is obviously a concern, but like, you know, the way people at Alabama talk about him and then you talk to people, I, I already had an incredible meeting with Frank Reich, right? Like, so um, I think Young goes first. I think Stroud goes second to Houston. And then I think things get really interesting because I think there's a lot of split opinion on Levis and Richardson among teams. Um, and there are teams that don't think either of those guys are first round picks. So like Indianapolis is fascinating to me. Because I, my understanding is like when the Bears were talking to the Colts about moving up, about, about the Colts moving up, the Colts really, the reason they didn't move up is that they weren't there yet in their process, right? Like they hadn't really mm -hmm. kind of gotten themselves to the point where they were sold on, on, a, on a singular player, um, a singular quarterback to take at the top of the draft. That sort of tells me they're not sold on anybody. You know what I mean? Like, and is that going to change in six weeks? So the Colts are fascinating because you have that dynamic, but it's going up against the fact that the owner really wants a quarterback, right? Do the Raiders take one? Do the Seahawks take one? Like you've got all these teams in the top 10 um, that theoretically could pull the trigger on one, um, but don't have to. So like, I think for both Levis and Richardson, there's a wide range, you know, within which they could go. But I think Young and Stroud are probably the first two. If uh, snapshot, just quick judgment, um, do you think the Patriots stay at 14? Do they trade down? If they stay at 14, what position do you think they target? I think it's got to be tackle, right? Get tackle or cornerback. I mean, it depends on how highly they have those guys because they could really, they really need a number one in this division now. They need if Joey Porter or Witherspoon or Gonzalez is there and they deem them yeah. a really good man cover corner. You know, not sauce, but yeah. of his ilk. I don't know how you pass on that. And yeah, but I do think maybe I think they I think they trade down and yeah. they get, you know, maybe a corner and maybe this the second tier of tackles. They go there. I don't know. I think it's hard to address tackle outside the first round. Like, I, think I it's, agree. It's one of those positions that's just if you're like the ones that are really good, usually go fast. So, um, I mean, one piece of information I can give you, I know when they were at Ohio state, they sent both 
I'm Adrian Clement, Ross Douglas, their line coach and the receivers coach. And they had extensive private meetings with Paris Johnston, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. Bill also went to the TCU Pro Day, which is where Quentin Johnston was. Um, he has a chance to be the top receiver. He's right in there with Smith and Jigba. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, there's another one in Broderick Jones who went to Georgia, an offensive tackle. And Bill's, you know, building a pretty extensive history now of drafting guys out of Kirby Smart's program, another guy that he's close with. So, like, I, I think there are a couple position groups there that are right in the wheelhouse. Um, you know, corner certainly another one. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, like, my guess would be they stay where they are, A, because the I think that the needs that they have are pressing enough at premium positions, right? And it's tough to wait on those positions. And then, B, I think they're right outside of this area of the draft where – there's a cliff, right? Like, so I think the cliff is going to be like right around like nine or 10, right? Like they're probably mm -hmm. going to be like six, seven, eight guys. that are sort of the guys that are above everybody else. And then I think like, once you get past that, everyone's going to be looking to go down. So I think it's going to be hard to find a great deal to come up. So like at that point, you're going to be relying on say like one of the tackles, one of the top tackles falling to you, which in that case, maybe you just take them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or one of the quarterbacks falling to you or what, something like that happening. I think if you're in the teens, it's going to be a tough place to trade down out of. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing, speaking of the wide receivers, I mean, since you're an Ohio State guy and we all loathe you on Twitter because of that, um, <laughs> Jackson Smith Enigma, I was reading Bruce Feldman's athletic um, mock yep. draft today where he talks to coaches I was blown away by the comments on him and I was blown away by his three cone time and I think the Patriots need some sort of jitterbug like quick yep. guy like you know make people miss go to the house type of guy and Jackson Smith Enigma sounds like that type of guy I mean would you endorse him at like 14 so he, like the, the, there's the question that he did he didn't really play last year right like so right. that's obviously a question um, but like, I would say, I'll give you two stories on him. Like the first one is like, he's the reason why Jamison Williams transferred out of Ohio state. Um, oh, wow. basically what happened was, and everybody knows how good Jamison Williams was at Alabama. Basically what happened was Brian Hartline, who everybody knows former dolphins receiver, who's the receivers coach, um, at Ohio yeah. state, he's the offensive coordinator now, um, basically went to Jamison Williams and said, listen, we have Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave on the outside. And he's like, and he said to him, he's like, I think he, I think we have the most natural slot receiver I've ever seen in my life. And Jack and Jackson Smith and Jig, by the time JSN was a, was a freshman, he said, so like what our plan would be, would be to play Jackson inside and then rotate you with Garrett and Chris outside. So we'd have the three of you guys rotating outside. And then we'd have Jackson as sort of the inside receiver. And Jamison decided to leave then. You know, and it, it, I think it's interesting and it's instructive because you, if you if you're talking about like a natural slot, like how natural Jackson Smith and Jigbo was as a slot is the reason why Jamison Williams transferred out of Ohio State. Wow. Um, the second thing is like I think what he lacks in the speed that the other two had that Chris and Garrett had at Ohio State, like he kind of makes up for him that he's a combination of both of them. Talking to people there, what they would tell me is that. Garrett is Garrett's incredibly explosive, but he's sort of all over the place. You know what I mean? Yeah, he looks Chris, that way. <laughs> yeah, Chris is Chris is very smooth, but less explosive. Like Jackson is a combination of the two. He's smooth and explosive. Like he's got like both of those qualities. 
which is why he's such a good route runner. And so he doesn't like the one drawback is that he doesn't have the straight line speed that those other two have, mm-hmm. but like as a route runner and like as an, ex- as a sort of like as a natural slot, he very much fits. I think what the Patriots, I think have looked for historically at the, at the receiver position. The other thing is he's played in incredible, incredibly big stages. He played at the highest classification of Texas high school football, like probably the best high school football in the country, which I know they felt like was a big reason why he was able to contribute so fast at Ohio state. And then going from that level to Ohio state, big stage there would make you think when you add that up with the success that Garrett and Chris had as rookies would put him in position to contribute really fast, really, you know, like right away in the NFL. And, um, you know, I, I the only thing that makes me hesitate with that because I do think it'd be a really good fit is is that your biggest need? Like, if one of the tackles is there, would you pass on one of the tackles from? That's that's a question I can't answer right now. Yeah, great stuff. Um, thanks, Bert. Um, real quick before we go, BSJ member question uh, thirty nine ninety nine. We cover the major Boston pro sports. About to announce our new Bruins writer, who's going to kill it in the uh, the postseason as long as the Bruins don't uh, submit to the President's Trophy curse, which they uh, which they clinched last night. Um, this comes from my Lamar Jackson report, where I said, the path they've settled on at, the, at this time is to build up the talent around Jones, similar to what the Eagles and Dolphins did with their young QBs on rookie contracts. Kraft is involved in that effort and is fully behind that direction. And Ram Lavelle says, whoa, Greg, this jumps out. You told us over and over that Kraft doesn't get involved in personnel. So how is he involved in this effort? Has he given Bill some kind of directive to improve the options around Mac? If so, I would think that Kraft would be expecting more to be done. I can't tell you exactly how involved he is. You know, I just know that he's putting a little pressure. I don't know if it's directly on Bill. I don't know if it's on his personnel people. I don't know who it's on, but he's definitely trying to influence them to get more weapons for Mac Jones. And, you know, Bert, I don't know if you have an opinion or if you've heard anything on this, but I do think, like, I do think Kraft for the most part stays out of personnel. But I think he's, I think this is a sign that times have changed and he's feeling the pressure from the fans. Their, you know, their lack of buzz and all this stuff in 25 and 26. And I think, and I also think that the crafts feel like Bill hasn't done enough to help himself and you need to help yourself more when you're 71 years old. And I think they've been trying to, whether it's, you know, macro, um, that seemed like a macro draft last year with some of their picks last year. Yeah. Um, you know, they're trying to help Bill along and try to push him a little bit, but I don't I don't know if it's there are any directives, but I do think there's a there's a there's a push from ownership. Well, I, I hear like I, I've always felt this way. Like I think the best owners are the ones who ask questions and are able to kind of put their expertise their level of expertise. Cause like mm-hmm. let's face it, most of these guys, like what they lack in football knowledge like they make up for in a lot of other areas. Like they're most of these guys are wildly successful for a reason. And obviously Robert Kraft has been wildly successful just as a human being (laughs) over the course of his life. So Mm -hmm. um, like, I think that that's probably where it comes from is like, just like asking questions. And if you're an employee, even if you're Bill Belichick, you know, when your boss asks you questions, you have conversations, you have an idea of which way he wants to go with stuff. And I think that's like oftentimes what happens in the NFL is like, like, especially when guys get in a, in a position where they're fighting for their jobs, like you've been around it, Greg, like 
they'll know what the owner wants. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. the owner may not have told them like, Hey, do this or, or you're fired or do this. And you know, like do, do, do this because I said, so like a lot of, in a lot of cases, like the, the coach, the GM will know what the owner wants. You know what I mean? And it's through those conversations it's through being asked those questions. And I think that that's probably where some of it's coming from. That'd be my guess. Cause I don't think, I do think one of the things that Kraft's really sensitive about is the idea that he ever meddled. Like, I don't think that he's a, I wouldn't put him up, you know, up near the top of the list as far as owners who meddle at all. Yeah. I mean, some of these guys are, you know, we hear the nightmare stories from um, coaches that we deal with where they're like, you know, they're dragged into this meeting on Monday or Tuesday. And like, you know, yeah. they're getting all these questions from their analytics department and they're putting it on the coach. Like Kraft doesn't do that stuff, um, which is nice, but he oh, does right. weigh in. And I think you're right. His, he, he lends it. He asks a lot of questions and lends his expertise. And yeah. It depends on whether Bill wants to take that or and not. You're, and well, and you're probably taking it a different way when you're 14 and two versus when you're eight and nine. That is true. Uh, thanks so much, Bert. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I don't know why it took us this long to do that, but uh, would definitely like to have you on at some other point. Um, do Tom Lopez proud at Lincoln Sudbury. I had to wear my sweatshirt in honor of Lopes. Uh, but yeah. thanks so much, Bert, and uh, I'll see you soon. All right. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it.